Like everybody else, I have many roles to play in my life. I'm a father, a romantic partner, a truth seeker, a working scientist, a gamer, a friend, and a citizen of a community. I'm both a grown man and a scared child. In different contexts, I find that I have access to particular ways of being, particular tendencies, let's say. Even in the mundanity of walking into a convenience store, I may walk in with a variety of selves. For example, if I'm focused on an interesting and thought-provoking podcast, my headphones are in, and I've been thinking about an episode or an essay that I'm writing, my approach to the man behind the counter will be quite different than if I walk in as my citizen self, confident in where I am and what I'm doing. I will look at the teller directly in the eyes, nod, and ask him how he's doing. In the latter case, he may react humanly, acknowledging me explicitly. We may have a genuinely good interaction. That spark of exchanged acknowledgement feels good. But I'm not looking for that if I'm deep in thought and more interested in the voices in my ears. The shared social context is the same, but my own psychological context is different. There's an episode of Seinfeld in which Elaine decides to become friends with George's girlfriend Susan. Elaine is looking for somebody to go to an event with, and Jerry suggests she call Susan. Right away, Kramer recognizes that this is going to be trouble. Worlds are going to collide. The premise is that independent George will be destroyed if relationship George enters his world. Talking to Jerry in his apartment, George says, Right now, I have relationship George, but there is also independent George. That's the George you know, the George you grew up with. Movie George, coffee shop George, liar George, body George. Jerry says, I love that, George. Me too, replies George, and he's dying, Jerry. If relationship George walks through that door, he will kill independent George. At times I feel amusing and smart. I have free access to a sense of wit and humor. I'm keyed into the friendly and smooth social world. I like being that person. The things I say as that self are clear and intelligent, incisive even. But other times I don't know how to be funny or interesting. I feel like a complete nothing. I'm anxious and self-conscious. I'm moody and I don't feel understood or understandable. I want to hide, to not be noticed. I don't like being that person. When a person comes out of a state of depression, he or she might say something like, I feel like myself again. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? But we can all relate. Feeling like oneself, it seems to me, is feeling like one's favored self, the one we like to inhabit, the one that feels comfortable and competent, the one that handles his business and makes friends easily, the one that has fun. There is something that I do find uncomfortable about all of this. I don't like to be compartmentalized. I really feel best when I can be authentic. Anytime I sense that there is some kind of social politics in the situation, I get a bad feeling. I don't want to say what I'm supposed to say. I want to say what I really think. I don't want to pretend there isn't an elephant in the room. I want to address it immediately. On a recent episode of Making Sense, Sam Harris had a discussion with a psychologist named James Fadiman, who has a new book on the topic of multiple selves. Fadiman is famous for his work with psychedelic drugs, including the idea of microdosing. In their discussion, he says, quote, The fact that there is something called multiple personality disorder, just linguistically, one would assume there is something called multiple personality order. And there is. It's called association, or cohesion, or integration. And it is taking the different threads of yourself and finding what's the best self to be in at any given moment. The goal is to have the different parts of you, which have different capacities, operate in the right ways. Unquote. 
A bit later, he says, quote, when people begin to see what they call inconsistencies, how could I have done this? I just wasn't myself th that day. Statements like that, where you're clearly seeing other selves, but you were trying to stuff it into a kind of unified self-assumption, unquote. Fadiman's thesis seems to be that we have multiple different selves and that gaining a measure of control over which self is appropriate at a given time is psychologically useful. The problem I notice is that I often don't have such control. If I find myself embodied in a mood of defensiveness and insecurity, anxiety and a feeling of out-of-placeness, I don't know how to reset or to switch into a more appropriate mode. Probably contextual cues in the situation are triggering a fear response. Cortisol and other stress hormones are acting in my system for reasons that are quite unconscious to me. My amygdala is active. I can't be afraid and self-confident at the same time, and I have no means to shut down these physiological systems. I previously made a distinction between two meanings of the word self. The first is the self-construct. This is sometimes called the ego. It has a narrative and a personality and particular ways of operating. This is the kind of self that mindfulness meditation can teach us is an illusion. More specifically, we can discover that the self-construct is not us. We exist prior to it as the second meaning of self. The second meaning of self, the one which I have declared undeniable, is the self as point of view. This is consciousness itself. The discussion that Sam Harris and James Fadiman had on making sense is referring to the first meaning, the illusory self-construct. But the unique thing which is added here is the idea that there are in fact many self-constructs which an individual can access or embody. Independent George and relationship George are separate selves in this sense. Obviously the point of view is continuous across these Georges. I, the point of view, experience different overlapping personalities or selves at different times, and it may be that the self-construct I bring to a given situation is not always the best or most appropriate one for the context. It seems that a lot of psychotherapy is aimed at helping people in this area. If I could get help through psychotherapy or self-development, I think it would be in this area too. I would want to learn how to access and maintain my best self-construct and not be overcome by stress and fear. Carl Rogers wrote in his book On Becoming a Person, quote, Through giving excerpts from the statements of these clients, I've been trying to suggest what happens in the warmth and understanding of a facilitating relationship with a therapist. It seems that, gradually, painfully, the individual explores what is behind the masks he presents to the world, and even behind the mask with which he has been deceiving himself. Deeply and often vividly, he experiences the various elements of himself which have been hidden within. Thus, to an increasing degree, he becomes himself, not a facade of conformity to others, not a cynical denial of all feeling, nor a front of intellectual rationality, but a living, breathing, feeling, fluctuating process. In short, he becomes a person." Unquote. In another section, Rogers writes, quote, In this attempt to discover his own self, the client typically uses the relationship to explore, to examine the various aspects of his own experience, to recognize and face up to the deep contradictions which he often discovers. He learns how much of his behavior, even how much of the feeling his, he experiences, is not real, is not something which flows from the genuine reactions of his organism, but is a facade, a front behind which he has been hiding. He discovers how much of his life is guided by what he thinks he should be, not by what he is. Often he discovers that he exists only in response to the demands of others, that he seems to have no self of his own, that he is only trying to think and feel 
and behave in the way that others believe he ought to think and feel and behave. In this connection, I have been astonished to find how accurately the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard pictured the dilemma of the individual more than a century ago with keen psychological insight. He points out that the most common despair is to be in despair at not choosing or willing to be oneself, but that the deepest form of despair is to choose to be other than himself." Unquote. Carl Rogers has thus characterized some of these self-constructs as masks which stand in the way of authenticity and self-actualization. I can definitely relate to this. For me, any sense in which I am called upon to wear a certain mask causes me to feel uncomfortable and insecure. Whenever the social context indicates to me that we are not wearing masks, that we are free to express ourselves as we are, that relaxes me and brings out a better version of me. This suggests to me that under certain kinds of stress, I put on a mask to protect myself. The mask is a kind of armor of defensiveness and moodiness. But I'm pretty sure that that state of being never makes things better. It doesn't make me feel protected, it makes me feel weak. Shit, this essay's turning into a therapy session. Undoubtedly, I have a number of selves or self-modes, just as James Fadiman discusses, but not all of them are pathological. It seems like many masks or personality modes are necessary trade-offs. If we want to live in a functioning society, we have to follow some rules of conduct. It would be unreasonable to, to suggest that we should really be our one and only authentic self at all times, especially if what is authentic is selfish and impulsive. We have to master ourselves and our whims, too. To the extent that society is not positioned to make the best of us, we have to make the best of ourselves. And personally, I prefer that. I want to be free, but freedom requires responsibility. That's a trade-off that we all live with in a free society. So some masks are necessary and useful. We literally move through the environment wearing clothes to conceal our bodies. Are these not masks? We act like professionals when we are in professional environments. We act charming in romantic situations. We act like capable authorities when we are parenting or mentoring young people. I think these masks are only truly inauthentic when we are acting against how we really feel or want to act. For example, when I am in a professional setting and feeling socially at ease, competent in my knowledge and expertise, I really feel like an honest professional. If I were on a date, I would feel guilty and gross if I pretended to be interested in what the woman across from me were saying, if I laughed falsely at her jokes, or if I said things I did not believe in order to make an impression. All of that feels like politics, and it makes me queasy to think about it. If I feel myself shut in and self-conscious, dull and unfunny, then the date must not be going well. If I feel free to be myself, and she does too, then it's a good date. The irony is that wanting to be my best self might cause me stress and thereby trigger me into being my worst. It's like trying too hard to fall asleep at night. Nothing triggers insomnia quite so well as desperately needing to sleep. Let's consider what it would mean to have many selves, as Fadiman suggests. As I pointed out earlier, we are speaking here of self as a construct. The self-construct of the moment will be a program that the brain is running that fits the context. It doesn't make sense to run the golf or tennis program when the moment calls for persuasive oratory or good-natured comedy. So I feel like a father in parenting contexts, and I feel like a competitor in a gaming context. Nevertheless, these cannot really be such distinct selves. There are personality features that will be in common across all contexts in which I find myself, at least I think there will be. If I am a character in D&D, &D, then these might reflect my ability scores. They don't change, but are applied differently in various situations. I really do feel quite different when I am frustrated versus relaxed, having fun versus stressed out. 
These emotional valences put a kind of topspin on my personality. Ideally, as Fadiman was saying to Sam Harris, these modes will be suited well to the context I'm in. When they do, I think we feel like ourselves. When we do things that we didn't know we were capable of, for better or for worse, we must feel a sense of being overcome or possessed by something. Ultimately, we, the conscious minds of people, are like what we are like based on events happening in the brain. Included in that is the access to memory. I may feel quite different at times, but my narrative is always plugged into the same hard drive. This is one reason why I wonder how confident you and I should be that we have ever existed before this day. If consciousness were conjured anew every morning by human brains, we conscious minds would be none the wiser because we would be jacked into the same memory systems. So we would believe ourselves to be and to have always been the people we find ourselves being. This idea is broached in the following exchange on psychedelic drug experiences between Sam Harris and James Fadiman. Harris says, quote, Based on my own experience, it's often felt to me that not taking enough of a psychedelic is as much a risk factor in determining having a bad trip. Not taking enough, not achieving, you know, escape velocity of some kind, can doom you to an unpleasant experience as much as taking too much, if taking too much is in fact a liability. I've had trips where it has felt like I took just enough to have my ordinary mental reality good and scrambled, or I took just enough to be given an unusual mental energy with which to fixate on my own psychological problems, but not given enough to fly clear of them for any span of time. So the net result was there was something considerably more than a microdose that potentiated my capacity for unhappiness. And I believe I've noticed this from both sides, because I've had trips where I've gone very far out, well beyond any personal reference point to my life and my psychology, and then it's only upon re-entry, as I'm coming down, that you begin to punch into the atmosphere of the familiar and begin thinking about your life. It's at that strata of the mind that there's a new capacity for chaos and complication and neurosis." Unquote. I can relate. This is what happened to me when I took psilocybin. I was clinging desperately to hold on to myself in a torrent of chaos and suffering. I wanted frantically to establish a coherent identity. I wanted my self-construct back. It never occurred to me that my dose might not have been high enough. I'm really not brave enough to find out. A short time later in their conversation, Fadiman says, quote, Look at that particular event that happens in a high dose. You have found that you are immortal, or that you are one with whatever your particular religious tradition says is the highest, or you have gone past that into feeling that everything is interconnected, and it's all the same stuff. And then you come down and you find that there you are, a kind of middle-aged physician in a difficult marriage and one of your kids has some kind of illness and you have economic problems and you love kite surfing. That person can go right into the heart of their issues coming down more than they could coming up." Unquote. A bit later, Fadiman says, quote, As one comes down, but one is coming down aware that one is more than one's identity. And when you have had those high experiences, Sam, the ones in which you said coming back into you is always a little puzzling, like I'm part of everything there is, why did I come back into a Sam Harris? Unquote. I found that last bit funny because it reminds me of my own ponderings on how I've come to be in, as it were, a Jesse Winters. Might I be no more astonished to wake up tomorrow morning as a Clive Johnson or a Marsha McDaniels? Wouldn't his or her memory and personality be the one which I then identified completely with? And doesn't that imply that my identity with Jesse Winters is nothing but personal mythology? It just turns out that the psychological tendencies of Jesse Winters, at least one or two of his self-modes, are such that any attendant consciousness would pose to itself such foolish questions as these. 
Dear listener, if you woke up at Jesse Winters, you too would find yourself as perplexed by these considerations, and in all likelihood be just as at home in a Jesse Winters as you are in whoever you find yourself being right now. There's a chapter in The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat by Oliver Sacks, in which Sacks talks about a patient named William Thompson, who had a form of severe amnesia known as Korsakov syndrome. It may seem a strange transition at this point in the episode to talk about amnesia, but I think it works. We can examine the self-construct from another direction. Sachs wrote, quote, He remembered nothing for more than a few seconds. He was continually disoriented. Abysses of amnesia continually opened beneath him, but he would bridge them nimbly by fluent confabulations and fictions of all kinds. For him they were not fictions, but how he suddenly saw or interpreted the world. Its radical flux and incoherence could not be tolerated, acknowledged for an instant. There was instead this strange, delirious quasi-coherence, as Mr. Thompson, with his ceaseless, unconscious, quick-fire inventions, continually improvised a world around him, an Arabian Nights world, a phantasmagoria, a dream of ever-changing people, figures, situations, continual kaleidoscopic mutations and transformations. For Mr. Thompson, however, it was not a tissue of ever-changing evanescent fancies and illusion, but a wholly normal, stable and factual world. So far as he was concerned, there was nothing the matter." Looked at from the outside, Mr. Thompson seems to be changing selves all the time, in direct response to his immediate interpretation of the context. The problem is, the context is totally unstable, and he doesn't know this because he has no memory of a few moments before. Here's an example. Sachs writes, quote, What'll it be today, he says, rubbing his hands? Half a pound of Virginia? A nice piece of Nova? Evidently, he saw me as a customer. He would often pick up the phone on the ward and say, Thompson's delicatessen. Oh, good morning, Mr. Thompson, I exclaim. And who do you think I am? Good heavens, the light's bad. I took you for a customer. As if it isn't my old friend Tom Pitkins. Me and Tom, he whispers in an aside to the nurse, was always going to races together. Mr. Thompson, you are mistaken again. So I am, he rejoins, not put out for a moment. Why would you be wearing a white coat if you were Tom? You're Jaime, the kosher butcher next door. No bloodstains on your coat, though. Business bad today? You'll look like a slaughterhouse by the end of the week, unquote. These misidentifications occur in the context of interacting with another person. But imagine what it would be like when Mr. Thompson is alone. Who does he think he is, and where? Every moment his interpretation might be shifting. Sachs writes, quote, On one occasion, Mr. Thompson went for a trip, identifying himself at the front desk as the Reverend William Thompson, ordering a taxi and taking off for the day. The taxi driver, whom we later spoke to, said he had never had so fascinating a passenger, for Mr. Thompson told him one story after another, amazing personal stories full of fantastic adventures. He seems to have been everywhere, done everything, met everyone. I could hardly believe so much was possible in a single life, he said. It is not exactly a single life, we answered. It is all very curious, a matter of identity, unquote. A bit later, Sachs writes this, quote, To be ourselves, we must have ourselves, possess, if need be, repossess our life stories. We must recollect ourselves, recollect the inner drama, the narrative of ourselves. A man needs such a narrative, a continuous inner narrative, to maintain his identity, his self. This narrative need, perhaps, is the clue to Mr. Thompson's desperate telltaling, his verbosity. Deprived of continuity, of a quiet, continuous inner narrative, he is driven to a sort of narrational frenzy, hence his ceaseless tales, his confabulations, his mythomania. 
unable to maintain a genuine narrative or continuity, unable to maintain a genuine inner world, he is driven to the proliferation of pseudo-narratives in a pseudo-continuity. Pseudo-worlds peopled by pseudo-people. Pseudo phantoms. What is it like for Mr. Thompson? Superficially, he comes over as an ebullient comic. People say, he's a riot. And there is much that is farcical in such a situation, which might form the basis of a comic novel. It is comic, but not just comic. It is terrible as well. For here is a man who in some sense is desperate, in a frenzy. The world keeps disappearing, losing meaning, vanishing, and he must seek meaning. Make meaning in a desperate way, continually inventing, throwing bridges of meaning over abysses of meaninglessness, the chaos that yawns continually beneath him." Unquote. We have seen that the human brain can produce more than one self-construct. We have seen that high-dose psychedelic experiences can bring us out of these self-constructs. In Sam Harris's words, we can fly clear of them for a while, and we can re-enter a self-construct, a particular identity upon coming back down from the trip. We can wear them as masks to deceive others or deceive ourselves. And Mr. Thompson teaches us that we will invent them on the spot if we find ourselves in a novel and uncertain context. This must occur in dreams. The point of view emerges into some fantastical situation, and we unquestioningly adopt some nonsense identity within the dream. If we didn't, if we recognized the situation we were in, the horror and confusion would be overwhelming. But we don't. We just confabulate on the spot. Perhaps the normal human condition is not so different. Perhaps we all just confabulate in the moment an identity for ourselves. If I think I'm a Jesse Winters, and if people treat me like a Jesse Winters, then I must be a Jesse Winters. But it's all really a dream, isn't it? And if I were to see myself as I really am, just a momentary point of view, a ghost, a mirror which reflects the world that presents itself to me, a nothingness, if I could truly recognize that none of these self-constructs is really me, the horror and confusion might be overwhelming. Mm -hmm.